everybody. Welcome to yet another episode of Building Public Podcast. Well, in today's episode, I'm joined by a very special guest who's joining us all the way from Martha's Vineyard, Ruben Harris. Uh, he's no stranger to startup founders and investors and people who are breaking into tech, breaking into startups. If you are figuring out like why I'm saying breaking into a couple of times, it's because that was exactly the name of his podcast, Breaking Into Startups. Welcome to the show, Ruben. Thank you for having me, Kepi. Um, lovely background. We were just chatting about like how how amazing his view is. Uh, he's probably hanging out with some celebrities. He's not telling me the names. But... Nah, there's other founders here. Look, that's a cool founder right there. You see, that's Camille. She runs a, a clean tech startup. And oh, nice. There's a bunch of founders here. It's all K-Poor Capital family. That's why I'm here. I'll be back in the Bay on Friday. Love it. Love it. And uh, he's also true building public fashion. He just went live on Instagram and showed his audience what we're about to do. So in many ways, Ruben lives the principle of building in public. So of course, I wanted to chat with him and break down some of his key wins, key lessons, success stories, you know, insights and, and experiences, you know, being, being who he is in the last, uh, last decade. So with that said, Ruben, you want to give us um, give the audience here who, you know, the three people in the audience who may not have heard about you a quick intro and a recap of your background. Yeah. So career comma is the easiest way to find a job training program online. So we match workers to job training programs so they can get high paying jobs in tech in about a year. Uh, we offer six different career paths in technical and non-technical roles. So software engineering, tech sales, design, data science, and the platform is completely free for people. The reason why we're able to keep it free for people is when we match someone to a school, the schools pay us a fee. Then we're able to reinvest back into the platform to create live audio rooms. So it's kind of like this quote in Clubhouse having a baby, focus on careers where the individuals, the schools and companies can give them support during the program through our community, during the job searching for the rest of their life. The audio rooms are something that uh, touches on our roots in podcasting. So before Career Karma, we started a podcast, as you mentioned, 2016 called Breaking Into Startups, uh, which became the number one podcast in the world for people breaking into tech. Uh, we've interviewed guests like uh, the people that you've interviewed, like Gary Vee, um, but put a, a big focus on everyday workers that figured out how to break into tech, moms, dads, veterans, uh, people that were formerly incarcerated, people from white-collar jobs switching into the tech industry, um, but also the the schools, the job training programs that are teaching people to go from low income to high income in a short amount of time. We're in a very special time right now where after healthcare, I would argue there's no bigger problem to solve other than getting millions and billions of people back on their feet. Um, you're part of OnDeck. OnDeck is a great example of a training program that's helping people get trained outside of college. And the fact of the matter is that most people in the world have never gone to college. College. And increasingly, there are more and more effective outcomes-driven training programs like boot camps that help people get jobs. Traditional education is starting to copy that model as well. And uh, now that most people in the world have not gone to college and they're looking for these things, there's platforms and podcasts like Building Public that are exposing them to us out there so that they can quickly get trained, get jobs. Um, and Career Karma is that, that platform that you can go to if you want to break into tech. Just download the app or go to careerkarma.com slash apply and we will help you. I love that. And I will make sure that I plug, I mentioned careerkarma.com in, in, in the other links we're going to talk about in the show notes. So one thing that stood out to me as I was doing some research, you know, about you and your, and your podcast and especially career karma and the way you're driven and passionate about sort of going after this problem of reskilling and, and bringing a lot of people back into the employment engine is that it, it felt so personal to you. 
to me, it says, is this oozed? Um, it just felt like, you know, this is something super personal to Ruben. Clearly there's mission driven founder. I'm curious about like, what about it is personal to you? Like, where did it start for you when it became like, yeah, this is something I want to spend a big chunk of my life on. Yeah, no, I'm glad that that shines through. You know, a lot of people, when they're raising money from venture capital, investors are looking for product market fit. Right? So the fact that you've come up with a solution that solves a problem in the market. But in the beginning, and even forever, you know, investors and the community and customers are looking for founder market fit. Um, and to your point, um, this is personal to us. CareerCom is much bigger than the company's mindset. It's a movement. And the CareerCom, honestly, is the product we wish that we had when we were breaking into tech. Um, my co-founders went to boot camps. My brother went to a boot camp. I technically went to a boot camp for entrepreneurs with my co-founders. Uh, y Combinator is like a boot camp. On Deck is like a boot camp. Yep. Right? All these accelerated forms of training that have an outcome at the end are what we went through. The thing that we realized as being people that have gone through these alternative forms of education ourselves is that there's a lot of pain to discover which program is best for you. Even when you find the programs best for you, there's a lot of psychological considerations that you're thinking about. Like, am I made for this? Or like, uh, do I belong here? Blah, blah, blah. So career navigation is very psychological. A lot of people think that education is the solution to career navigation, but it's only one part of it. And I would argue a small part of it is a lot more factors outside of psychology as well, like leadership skills, team management skills, a lot of things that are involved in order to like really successfully navigate a career, um, negotiation skills, things like that. And CareerCom was helping people do that. Related to this, this personal story as well, like I went to small church schools my whole life. I've been playing the cello since I was four years old. And when I was in school, I wasn't really focused on my grades. I was focused on throwing parties in clubs <laughs> and also becoming the greatest musician in the world. So my mindset was like, as long as I could perform, it doesn't matter what it says on paper. But that mindset was wrong if I wanted to get into an investment banking world, which is where I started. And I had a 2.98 GPA, right? I talk about the GPA because it was very hard to get people to accept me in a world where G the 3.8 GPA is the minimum requirement to get in. And I had to tell a really good story. So I learned how to be a good communicator to do it. But today, there's a big revolution happening in standardized tests as well, right? You know, a lot of schools are dropping the requirement for the GMAT or the SAT. A lot of standardized test stuff is going away. Um, even the resume evaluation is going away um, because it's not about how many years you work somewhere. It's about what can you build, right? How can you add value today to an organization? So even if you never worked in tech, but you've been working as a food retail worker for a very long time, if you get a skill set really quickly through a boot camp and you apply to a company like Instacart or Amazon, now you are not a junior coder, you are a food retail executive that happens to know how to code, right? right? And so I say all of this because there is no greater team that's out there to solve this problem better than us. And I'm not just saying that because we're good at execution, which we are. I'm saying that because we've lived this life on our podcast, you can hear who we're connected to that have lived this life. And now that we have a platform that we launched in 2018, and we have hundreds of thousands of people that have gone through our community and millions of people that come to, to us, that trust is continuing to build and compound as we continue moving forward towards our mission of helping a billion people in the next 10 years and connecting the world to their next opportunity. Wow. There's several threads in, in what you just said that resonate with me. And, and you know, the personal 
mission is, is I think one aspect to it, you know, which right off the bat, uh, we just discussed before turning this episode on that, like my story is similar. You know, I came from non-traditional startup background. Like I had zero pedigree before joining on deck. I was like, you're, in your case, you came from investment banking. I came from <laughs> Delta Airlines. Like I literally came from corporate background, did like a very product driven, uh, like but super large, you know, giant corporate company, you know, gigs. And I always felt like an outsider when it came to thinking about startups and, and tech, you know, and I think that mental barrier you were referring to earlier is so real. And if, you know, I, I'm saying this as someone who's like neck deep now in startups and like there's hundreds of DMs that I get on, on Twitter and everywhere. They're like, I see so many people going through the same cycle that I went through mentally. And I'm looking from this vantage point. I'm saying, oh my God, have you seen Instacart wants? How many Jundek wants? How many jobs Product Hunt wants and AngelList wants? And it's what's crazy, Ruben. And I wonder, I want to take, I want to hear your thought on this and sort of your take on this. The non-symmetry of like how many jobs there are right now in series A to series C companies, right? We're looking for talent. They're always saying looking for talent. And how many people are out there in the job market who are, you know, partly because of COVID were affected or they were genuinely curious about tech, but they always thought that they didn't belong because they felt like they watched uh, one movie, Mark Zuckerberg uh, or uh, The Social Network, and they thought, okay, I'm not that guy. Hence, because I don't code, hence I don't belong. And that is the greatest uh, mismatch, I think, of talent arbitrage that I'm noticing. And I'm like, that's why I think I'm super passionate about career karma and like, you know, what you're building and paving the path there is you're building a bridge for this segment of people to come over to the, the other side and see, see what it's like. That's right. So the question is, what's my perspective on all of that? Yeah. What's the, what's your take? Cause you, what I'm trying to rank. So, so, here so is, yeah. I, I, I got, I got to let me share my thoughts based on what you just said. So in the early days of career combo, when we were trying to help people understand how vast this opportunity was, we would ask them, you know, how many people you think is employed by Uber? Like you said, or how many people you think is employed by SAP? Um, you know, you hear stories of companies like Instacart that got acquired early days with only 13 people. WhatsApp that got acquired with only 50 people. But like, like how many people for real like work at SAP that are engineers alone? Like 30,000, right? I think Target hired like 3,000 software engineers last year, right? Goldman Sachs hiring 1,500 software engineer interns in a summer, right? There's like so many companies that are like traditional and non-traditional that are hiring talent. Today, I think there's like 9 million open jobs with like not a lot of people applying to them. And I think high level, it's important to understand that like half the world's not connected to the internet, Yeah. right? There's like trillions of dollars that have been created from technology, but imagine what happens when the entire world is connected to the internet, right? There's, um, there's, uh, 3 billion people in the workforce and the U.S. is going to be, is currently, I mean, the U.S. Uh, is currently at 7 billion people in the world. It's going to be 10 billion people by 2050, right? So the workforce is going to grow and every industry is not an industry anymore. It's going to be driven by tech. So, you know, in the beginning, tech was creating things that were nice to have. Now it's starting to create things that are neat to have, right? So in the beginning, it was like things like you said, like Facebook, Snapchat, which are cool companies, but those are like vanity things. Like what are, these needs, right? So I would argue, you know, things related to healthcare, transportation, housing, like they're like these, these deep structural things that are going to be revolutionized by tech, whether you want to or not. And, you know, historically companies like GM and Ford, these car manufacturers were the biggest uh, employers to people. But now it's going to be the tech companies, right? In my Amazon. Opinion, 
Like, Look at Amazon. Exactly. Yeah. Amazon employs like over half a million people by themselves. Yeah. I think there was a stat right. last month that they had the yeah. highest number of, yeah. Exactly. Like, exactly. And, and in my opinion, I think that there's going to be more non-technical roles in tech than technical roles. Yes. Fun fact, I'm running a tech company with my co-founders who are technical. They're software engineers, but I'm not a software engineer, right? My background is in sales at every startup that I work with, right? And I think the fastest way to break into tech is either sales or coding. Naval says if you learn both, you're unstoppable. So fun fact, try that if you want to. I say that my, my, my version <laughs> of that is if you know how to build and if you know how to build in public, then you're unstoppable, right? Because you can sell the story like and create your app. So I like that. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that version of it. But I think to your point, there's a million ways to get it. Choose one. There's marketing is not Mad Men anymore, like it was with Don Draper. I love that show, but it's very digital now. You know, there's like, and you got to understand SEO and SEM product management. Most people don't know what a product manager is, right? You know, design, which we're so creative. But so many of our people are just like creating amazing memes that go viral on the internet, but they're not getting paid for it. Exactly. Right. So get paid for your creativity and learn how to design and like start driving value for these organizations to eventually build your own so we can stop being digital cotton pickers. Like we're, we're driving all the value. We're not capturing it. So we want to help people not just get these jobs in tech and get paid um, and do what they love. Because I think a, a reason why a lot of people wake up in the morning and they hate what they do is because they're not aligned with what they want to do. But they would be energized by their work if they're aligned with the work that they feel that they were put on this earth to do or that they were challenged to do. Right? And then um, use these new superpowers like coding or sales or design or marketing, whatever, data science to add value in the world. Like, I mean, everybody is special. We all have unique gifts that we've been given. But I would argue we, most people aren't in their zone of genius or in a place that allows them to utilize their full selves. And we're on a mission to unlock human potential. Absolutely love that. The one fascinating thing that I noticed when I started working at On Deck and just startups in general is how incredibly autonomous my role felt. And I felt that was a, the shift was like night and day difference compared to where I was in corporate, where I was just a cog in the giant wheel. You know, like I had to wait for someone's blessing and permission and approval. Whereas when I started on deck, like so many things, including this podcast was my own initiative, you know, and it's almost, almost where you're like, you, you ask for forgiveness, you don't ask for permission. I think that's one of the things Ruben right now that I encourage, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure, you know, you, you see a lot of people trying to break into tech and I'm like, what are you waiting on? Like, there's no gatekeepers anymore. Y'all it's over. Like internet is the gatekeeper. Go to the internet go to a podcast, start a podcast, start a racket. I don't know if you've heard of racket. It's the shorter version of a podcast. And start creating content and make it relevant and valuable to the world. That part definitely, you know, there's like, if you talk just about you, 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 of course, after a while, people get bored and like, what's in it for me, right? But go look at Uber's story. Create a 10-minute pitch on here's how Uber was in 2006 and here's how they are today. And there you go. There's a piece of content that's relevant to the next generation of founders who want to emulate Uber's dual marketplace strategy. So I think that mind shift to back to your, again, self-doubt slash psychological barriers. I think a lot of people, because they're currently, school trains them to be compliant, to be sort of like, you know, rule followers and like wait for permission, wait for the teacher to tell you go to the bathroom. I wonder how many people are just sitting on the fence and thinking like, man, I, I don't have it in me because like, I don't know, these guys do it. I don't know how to do it. So I, I'm curious, how, how do you do it? Like, how did you, why did you not care for permission? Why did you just go on and start a podcast, go on, go to Valley, go on and start Career Karma? Yeah. I mean, I think you said a few things that I was talking about before that as well, which is like, 
how do you find your zone of genius? How do you find what you want to build in public, right? How do you find what you want to talk about on a day-to-day basis? A lot of people are trying to find a solution to something, right? Immediately, they're like, you know, what idea can I come up with that's going to that's gonna be a billion-dollar company? But I, I think a quick way to, like, hack your way into, like, figuring out what your zone of genius is is, like, asking yourself, like, what problem or struggle have I faced more than anyone else? That doesn't mean that you've overcome it, but like what problem or struggle that you face more than anybody else? It could be being broke. We have a lot of loans. It could be diabetes. It could be all kinds of things, right? Because you're going to know more about the issues than anybody else, right? Or you might have figured it out, right? You might have figured out how to like live frugally, or you might have figured out how to beat cancer, right? You live with cancer, you beat it. You might understand how to manage your mental health, like blah, blah, blah. And once you like ask yourself, okay, is this a struggle that I felt more than anybody else? Or what subject do I know about more than anybody else? It could be the most niche thing in the world because it's the internet, right? There's always going to be an audience for whatever thing that you pick. And once you discover that, talk about that and like take it a little bit deeper. Like, was I put on this earth to talk about that or solve this problem or lead people to solve this problem? And then like, address it. And if you don't have the answers on your podcast, like Eric said, it's not only a shortcut to networking. A podcast is not only a shortcut to networking. And Eric, by the way, is the co-founder of uh, or founder of On Deck that you're part of. It's also a shortcut to an education. Like find smart people on the thing that you are passionate about, which might, let's, I'm just going to use diabetes as an example. And then just interview everybody that's like solve problems related to that. Do that process. You're going to learn so much. Ask them all the questions that you wanted to know. Get answers to it. Your listeners will get those answers to and they'll be blessed with the knowledge as well. And then as you're interviewing people, think about how can I solve that problem with software? Do millions and billions of people understand, have the same problem? If I create a solution for this problem for millions and billions of people, is it a problem that they face frequently? Ideally, the answer is yes, because then they're using the app that you create often. And when they use the app as their monetization event, either from them or from some other entity, now you're making money that's sustainable. That's not just like a greed business thing. It's like sustainable, right? Which is very important. Um, money is just like a value exchange, right? A representation of value exchange. And so I know money is a lot deeper than that, but we'll just pause for that. But just long story short, that's, I think that's a shortcut to finding a zone of genius. Why do I feel called to like do things the way that I do things in a rebellious way without permission. I mean, part of that is natural, right? I've always kind of had a, a rebellious spirit, like a breaking the tech spirit, a kick in the door mindset, like a biggie type of mindset, even though it's a controversial opinion, but I think Tupac is my choice out of Tupac and Biggie. But um, the, the crowd is split at this point, right? Now. The audience <laughs> know, right? is two people. <laughs> Dang, I was with you until you said that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so for me, I truly believe I was chosen to do this by God. Right? There's a really great quote by um, Dr. Martin Luther King that I'm going to slaughter, but it's almost perfect where he says, like, if you feel like you are doing what you were called to do, set out as if God Almighty called you at this very moment to do it in this moment in history. Right? And it took me a while to get to this point. I used to want to be an investment banker, the best investment banker in the world. I don't believe that I was given the gift of music for no reason. I played a cello well on a world-class level. I played in Carnegie Hall. I played in studio music, like in studios with the, the best artists in the world. And it will be valuable later, 
right? Especially when we think about distribution and, and media as a tech company, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. But like for this season in my life, at least the next 10 years, my sole focus is career karma, helping people break into tech, getting to this billion people in the next 10 years. And that drives me. And and I know that when I'm pointed towards that North Star, when things don't work out, that's actually like me getting closer to what will work out, right? And I trust my struggle, right? Because rejection is redirection. Rejection's got protection, right? And so I just, that's what keeps me going. It's, it's, I do have like a abnormal amount of self-confidence. But like time and time again, it's proven to work out because it's not about me. It's because like I'm mission driven. And if you are mission driven, you'll see that evidence of you being called to serve something that um, is hard to describe unless you put it into practice. You're probably one of the most ambitious founders I've interviewed, you know, uh, on the podcast. And that includes Gary Vee. So it's remarkable how clear you are, you know, about what kind of communities and what kind of uh, people you want to serve and, and slash empower and, and w- whatever that number ends up being, whether it's a billion people or a hundred million, you know, I think it, it's so inspiring to watch and like learn and observe like your clarity and the direction in the North Star, you know? So I want to like actually double down on that self-doubt thing. Cause I think that's something you, you talked about in, in a bunch of episodes on your podcast. And I've noticed that, you know, in, in, in my audience, in the people that I, that I mentor and advise, there's a, a lot of people who are, you know, questioning themselves if they're like fit for startups slash tech because they don't know how to code. And the funny thing is, you know, I ran a fellowship at On Deck and it's one of the one of the programs that is one of the highly successful programs and I still don't know how to code. And because I don't know how to code, I created a fellowship called No Code Fellowship. And it's still massively relevant and useful in the tech world because there's so many things you can build with no code. And back in the day, you could only build with code, Right. And so, I mean, Mark Anderson has always said like software is, you know, uh, software is eating the world. And I had a funny sort of tongue in cheek tweet to that saying software is eating the world. No code is snacking on software, you know, because you're enabling the majority of people in, in tech and startups who are not coders to go build something using Webflow, Adalo, Bubble, whatever these no code tools are. And I'm sitting and most of the time I'm trying to like evangelize this message. And I'm like, there's these tools, pick up these tools. You don't need a six month bootcamp or JavaScript or whatever. It takes literally a month to learn something and train yourself, reskill, upskill in, in no code and build something tangible that you can show to your future employer, to, you know, to your own portfolio, to whatever, right? And it still seems to me, Ruben, it's a question of like, I don't know if I'm a good fit or not. And so how do you, like in Career Karma's perspective, like when you have these new people joining in, are there programs, are there initiatives within, within the startup, within your company where you genuinely actually talk them into believing in themselves? Like there's some way that you help people to actually take shots on themselves? Yes. Um, touch on a few things. So I think I like the no-code movement. Career Karma Fun Fact started off using the no-code prototype on Bubble. We use Bubble no, to prototype it. That's um, super dope. And um, I think it's cool because it's easier to start something today than there ever has been a time to start something. The former CEO of Pilot Hunt, who was um, Eric's former boss, who now has a company called, I think, a fund called Weekend Fund. Weekend Fund, yeah. Um, yeah, Ryan Hoover. He also says, no code is a gateway code, the gateway drug to code, right? So you can't always, like if you're trying to start a company, you can't have it on no code forever, but it does allow you to quickly prototype and test things. And maybe even if you're not a coder, and you want to like figure out to show show people that you know how to project manage something. There's a lot of things you could do with 
of course, so it's like really valuable. And so you got to understand how that works, right? Because even to run a no-code company requires coders in there, but you don't have to be that. So I, I like that you touched on to address the way to overcome imposter syndrome, right? So one of the first books I read before I moved to the Bay was um, The Hard Thing About Hard Things by um, Ben Horowitz, which was saying that like CEOs have to manage their psychology. So that's like one of the first things you got to do. Um, but I, I think that everybody needs to learn how to manage their psychology. That's why companies like Calm and Headspace are taking off these days. And um, for people that don't know what that is, those are mental health apps, but like better up, focus on coaching. Like there's so many apps that are like doing this. I use mental tricks for myself, right? So that I actually believe. <laughs> so you can be like, oh man, like what's it like to be a black guy in tech? Everybody likes to ask me that. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, it's fucking awesome to be a black guy in tech. Like, <laughs> like I'm from Atlanta. Like, most of us are black out there. And they're all successful. And they're like kings and queens, right? So if I'm in a place like Martha's Vineyard, right, which where I am right now, which is like 90% white, and I'm the only or the few, one of the few black people here in Oak Plus, which is where all the black people are, I can look at that as a bad thing. Or I can look at it as an advantage where... If there's a white piece of paper, you're naturally going to stare at the black dot and be like, okay, what is that? That's different on this piece of paper. And so that can feel weird because it's kind of like being looked at on a on a Petri dish. Like you think about it like that, like you've been look at, looked under a microscope. But if people are looking at you as weird or if people are looking at you as less than, which I don't like to assume they're less than that they are and they're underestimating you, that's actually an advantage. Right. Because if you're good and people are underestimating you, then it should be easy for you to exceed the expectations. Easier, right? Because they're setting themselves up to be surprised, right? If I'm coming into a pitch and you're expecting career coming to like not be the best or not solving the problem, I'm going to wow you every time, right? And even if you are coming with high expectations, I'm still going to wow you because I'm the best, right? <laughs> or like we're the best, right? Because of the team effort, right? So like that mindset matters. I also think that, um, Again, going back to that whole piece about are you cultured? You truly believe that? Like that's really going to help you. But again, changing your mindset from being underrepresented or a minority to being underestimated, which I got from Arlen Hamilton, who's one of our investors, that really helps because it's bigger than race, it's bigger than gender, it's it includes religion. I'm, I grew up in the church. It includes disabilities. It includes a lot of things like that, and like. You need to be proud of your unique differences. Why? Because if you want to be number one, you have to be weird. And weird's not a bad thing, right? If you if you're not weird, then you're not number one. You're the same as everybody else, right? I mean, Elon weird. Musk is weird, right? I mean, it, exactly. Right? Like everybody so in tech, reason, I think, is weird in one yeah, way, right? The reason why Phil Kamali is special is because that's where all the weirdos are, right? And like <laughs> being weird just means different, right? And I would argue, whatever you feel, and this is a message message, newsflash, whatever you think is weird about you is probably your superpower and what you want to double down on. So that's another trick to figure out what your zone of genius is. It's like, what's weird about me? What do I think is weird about me? Are there other weirdos that will resonate with that? How many of them, right? That's your superpower. I think I answered your question, but I don't know. That's it does. No, it does. It does. It's also a great segue for me to uh, like lead us into this. Another uh, aspect of your story that I love so much about and you're one of the very few founders that I think are doing it right, which is personal branding. And man, I so wish that more founders actually invested time, energy, and effort, you know, as they're getting big in terms of impact and their startups in the personal branding as well. Because again, from my perspective, it is absolutely the fastest way to inspire the next generation. Because if you're not visible, if you're not present in public, then your story, your message, your ethos, 
is not present in public. You know, 99% of what I want to do is to show to the people that someone like me, looking like me with this accent coming from India, can make it in tech. For that to happen, I have to be fucking present, you know, and be, be public. So I'm curious with you, what does personal branding mean to you and why do you, be, why do you believe in it? Well, number one, every company is a media company, right? So that's a tweet right if, there. If every company is a media company, then like you have to invest in that. And as a CEO, what's a CEO's job? CEO's job is to make sure the company never runs out of money, that they fundraise, that they um, tell the story of the company, that they're in charge of strategy, and that they hire people and fire people accordingly. Um, that's the job. Right. So if my job is storytelling as the CEO, if it's my job as a CEO to tell the story of the company, then I shouldn't always be in public, in my opinion. Right. That's the way I think about it as a walking advertisement for the company. And like that actually doesn't feel corporate, right? To people. The reason why it doesn't feel corporate to people is because I've chosen a problem to solve that is personal. That is what I feel like I was called to do. That's why when you and others hear me talk about it, it comes off as genuine because it is, right? This is my life. This is our life, right? And what's awesome is when you see it impact other people's life. You know, uh, when I was at the ASU GSV conference, they asked me to speak on stage. What did I do? I said, I'm happy to do that. But you actually have to bring this woman that I just helped get a job in tech in New York. You got to fly her out and put her on stage. It's not about me. It's about her. Wow. This is the real shit. Right? She's a mom, black woman, two kids, making $100,000 and was a former teacher. Amazing. So proud of her. They, they, she absolutely crushed it. And like, those are like living and breathing testaments out there, you know? So I like highlighting that. Also, to your point, like, and I've I been talking about this with other founders here. There's, there's some amazing people, like the lady I showed you in the beginning. Amazing people that are like closing like huge rounds of money like this that in not just huge rounds of money, but like really solving fundamental problems. She's in clean tech. And as they're building, you can still inspire people to do things like it's, a, it's important for not just me to win. I talk about how black unicorns are coming. I talk about how brown unicorns are coming, right? Yellow unicorns are coming. We all coming, right? Half the world's not connected to the internet, right? Most of these people are in the developing world where there's some real problems to solve. And if there's some real problems to solve, there's some big companies to make, right? Real big companies to make. And so um, I think it's important to have a personal brand just because fortunately and unfortunately, the leader of the organization matters, just like the investors of the organization matter, right? Just like the team in an organization matters, right? And what they all do matters. The curse of that is as I build my personal brand, my business is separate from the personal brand, but I do have to be mindful of what I do in my personal life because that could affect the company. So just recognize the path that you're choosing that like you will be public and you can control your own narrative, which I think is important whether you run a company or not, because if we don't tell our own stories, other people are going to tell stories about us. So like the answer to your question is that tell your own story or right. other people will tell stories about you. Put your own content out. So when people Google you, what you want to pop up is what pops up. Have you ever Googled your name? If you haven't, if you're listening to this and you haven't, do it today. And if you aren't happy with pops up, fix it. And the way to fix it is by building a public or creating in public or talking about things in public because then it'll be service on Google. I love it. And, and you know, it's just to underscore the last point around, like as founders grow and their personal brands grow, um, it's really hard to draw a line between what's, what's the founder's, you know, personal brand and then the startup's brand and it can impact the other way too. But I would argue 
the downside there is, of course, you know, it's real, you know, there's that downside that, you know, sometimes, you know, if you have a personal issue in your personal life that may trickle into this company brand. But let me also point out that there's never been any tech CEO that was, uh, that could escape that anyway, like whether mm-hmm. they were public or not public, right? Like, mm-hmm. do you think they would cut any, like, you know, for Evan Spiegel or like Mark Zuckerberg, like they're not as public as, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, us, we're trying to be the next generation. But mm-hmm. like every part of their life is analyzed through microscope. It's anyway. inevitable. Yeah. Inevitable. So and no matter what you do, like eventually, once you become sort of relevant and influential in tech, you know, people will have different narratives. That is narratives. your cross the bear. Yeah. That is your cross the bear. It's the cross the bear. But it's, it's key to your point to make sure that you have a direct line Action. Yes. with your audience. And so well, if you don't, the media will create the narrative. Create for an you. error for you, right? And so that's yeah. part of the reason why. Which is like, not good. It's not great. All right. Um, we're... we're about to hit our um, one hour limit. So I'll, I'll be conscious of your time. And I want to touch on two topics and uh-huh. both close to my heart. And I'll touch on them. One, Atlanta, two, NBA. All right. So uh-huh. let's talk about Atlanta first. Give me your favorite Atlanta memory that you have. My favorite Atlanta memory is probably the first party that we threw at a club called Studio 72 with my friend Pedro Frias. Give me the location. Um, uh, I'm not really hot on the nightclub scene, but I'm like, if you tell me like where well, it is, it's, 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 shut, it's shut down now. It was in Tucker, Georgia. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, okay. it was yeah. huge. It was modeled off of Studio 54 in Vegas. Had a hot tub in it. It could fit 2,000 people in the first party we did. Had had like 15, 1,600 people in the party, and we had Tyrese there. And I was on stage with Tyrese. I remember he performed Sweet Lady and like the whole the whole crowd was like singing back and forth. And then Dr. Dre's um, Explode came on and not only did he like turn the crowd up, he went into the crowd and crowd surf. And it was just like a really cool, surreal moment of like a perfect curation of people. Uh, music. I believe DJ Infamous from B- B103 was the guy that's, that was on the mic, um, you know, shouting out different things that were happening, uh, shouting me out. It was broadcast on the radio when you went outside. Um, new up-and-coming artist. There was an artist named Rocco at the time who had this song called This Morning. So I remember like he was like, this morning, I woke up feeling like money. I jumped up. That that happened. And he was like showing us his like vehicles. He was like, yeah, this is a, so when, this is my Wednesday car. And like, just like, it was just like super like, it was literally like a music video, but in real life. Um, and, and Atlanta, pretty much every night there's a celebrity. But like, but the thing I'll say about it is like, I learned a lot about street teams. I learned a lot about graphic design. I learned a lot about marketing. This was during MySpace days. Wow. So Facebook, wow. it was the Facebook MySpace days. And um, I was actually more bullish on MySpace at the time. Um, and I, um, we had like hundreds of thousands of people on MySpace. We would buy out the MySpace homepage to be the center of events. We like use similar to like what Facebook events is. We use MySpace for that. We learned a lot about email marketing and, and, and showing up in people and like branding then. And, yeah. and the reason why I'm bringing this up is you probably see when I'm always posting pictures. I'm always posting pictures wherever I am, even here in Martha's Vineyard. I learned that through the parties, there was a guy named Prince from ATL Picks. Every night we had a party, he would, and this is more popular now, but he's, he pioneered this. Um, he would take pictures at the club that night. The next morning, he would have pictures 
that were dropped on his website that were branded ATL pics, and people would upload them as their profile pictures for their MySpace page. And so these high quality pictures became the reason why a lot of people would show up to our parties so they could get a high quality picture taken at the club that they could upload to their MySpace page. So even now, like when you see me at different places, I treat founders, VCs, celebs, my friends that are in tech as celebrities. So whenever I'm out like that, encourages people to understand that tech is cool. Like this is right. this is for you. This is for me. So a lot of stuff I learned from parties from that. So I'll say that's probably my favorite Atlanta memories. That's a great crossover to, to from tech to culture, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Um, to sports now, like you have a favorite NBA player? I have a favorite NBA team. I have a favorite NBA team. Um, that's Chicago Bulls, the NBA team. The classic? Um, yeah, the DC, classic. Yeah. The classic, yeah, exactly. And I have a favorite coach. So I really Who's, like Phil Jackson. Yeah. I like Phil Jackson. Um, and I've studied 11 rings and and um, Sacred Hoops and all that, but go ahead. My follow-up was, if you were to be an NBA player, who do you resemble the closest? Who do you think? I, n- not, not physically. Like, yeah, attitude-wise, no. who, who, who ethos-wise. I'm curious. Well, having known you the last hour and followed your content, I think you seem to be more like Jordan. You have that okay. spirit, MJ spirit, I was, but... I like, I like MJ a lot. I would say... The person I study the most of in his personality and his growth is a Kobe, who studies Jordan a lot. But I'll say it's, it's a toss-up between Kobe and Allen Iverson. Oh, yeah. Right? yeah. And let me tell you why that's like Allen Iverson. So now that I'm talking about it a lot, I actually think Allen Iverson is my favorite player. The lesson with Allen Iverson is, and I had all his shoes, like the question, you know, the answer, all that stuff. Like um, the problem with Allen Iverson is he has so much talent that he wasted it. Right. Even Kobe made commentaries about Allen Iverson. Right. Um, he made a lot of money that he like lost as well. I think $150 million that he lost. And he talks about this as well. Um, Allen Iverson has the swag. Like he had the music connections. He had the popularity. He had the talent, but he did not like to practice. Are we talking about games or are we talking about practice? We're talking about practice. I show up to the game doing a play. Right. That was me with education and not caring about the grades. I show it to the sh- to st- show and perform, but practice matters, right? Homework matters, right? Yeah. Watching film matters. Kobe was a student of the game. Yeah. He studied the game and he showed up, right? It's kind of like Michael Vick back in the day was an Atlanta player too, you know? He, very talented, didn't want to practice, right? So, you know, growing up, my talent got in my way and I would, I would not care about music theory, for example, just because I was better. And I, I have to play catch up now with music theory. Um, my brother's way better at music theory and perfect pitch than I am because I did not care about music history or music theory because I played better than everybody else. But that's God-given ability, not my full potential, right? That's lazy, you know? And so people like Jordan, people like Kobe are obsessed with the game, obsessed with winning. I like Kobe's development because in the beginning, he didn't have the best relationship with Phil Jackson. But over time, he learned how to play as a team, right? Him and Shaq didn't have the best relationship. Eventually, they did. Jordan, like, is a leader all the way, always wanted to win, right? Triangle offense, like, all this type of stuff like this. And he led by example. They all led by example. The Mamba mentality, practicing after a game. Right. That's I live that. Like yesterday I did a back workout and then I ran four miles, right? Tomorrow I'm gonna bike forty miles, right? That's just how we do it. Um so that's my answer. 
to your question. I love that. I love that. I mean, I definitely did not expect Kobe, but it, I kind of make it kind of makes sense given how big of a student he was of the game. And I think uh-huh. so. I want to cap this off by saying, uh, well, it was a pleasure. First of all, Ruben, getting to hang out with you and get into you know break down some of your mental models and like you know get into your head a little bit. Um, and I'm incredibly bullish about the potential for career karma. Um, and and I, I, like we, as we discussed earlier, I think there's so much to be done. And even if you can get to the 10% of that journey, what's potential, what's possible, I think that itself will be a massive outcome for, for both the company and also just the community. You know, so I'm Correct. super bullish, rooting for you, rooting for y'all. Would love to probably bring you back at maybe season three or something, because I think this is some great energy here and mutual respect. Yeah, man. I'm all, I'm always down, man. I appreciate you having me on your show. Humbled to be on your show. You have awesome guests, so thank you for selecting me. Definitely want to be back. There's some some big things that we're working on, which you'll see, and we'll talk about. I'm excited. Um, hit me up. Please hit me I up, will. and uh, my audience would love. I think that we have a lot of overlap, so would love to, you know, uh, uh, send this across to my audience too. Awesome. Amazing. Thank have a great one, Ruben. And my last point I was gonna say is yes, maybe in college you were like Alan Iverson you know, talent got in the way, but I wish that you spend the rest of your tech career as Kobe, studying the game, getting better and never resting, right? So with that said, thank you so much, Ruben. See ya. Let's get it, bro.